First Peter chapter one, if you'll find that place in your Bible, First Peter chapter one, we're gonna read in verse 13, but preach from verse 18 and following today, but go ahead and find that. I do want to say a word of thank you as we get started today. Uh, Josh has already mentioned, and we've already prayed for the youth group up here. They're in the, some of you think, where are these people we're talking about? Well, they're there. They're in the, in the balcony over to my right. And I want to say thank you to Josh and Savannah, all the volunteers who worked so hard and did such a great job this weekend, all the folks who are here serving food and all the people opening your homes. And you probably have to go grocery shopping now that you've opened your home to a bunch of teenagers. Uh, thank you for doing that. Um, I was here last night and got to be a part of the worship service and the meal that was offered out in the gathering hall and to see teenagers all over the place. And I, as soon as I walked in, when I opened up the door, this side door over here, I walked in and it, it smelled so much like a youth group. <laughs> it's just awesome, like wet grass. You know that smell? And... Uh, I was so grateful that this new smell got broken in. <laughs> Seriously, uh, I came in and, and got to see the teenagers here and see all the people who were serving and stood around and watched and rejoiced. Just rejoiced. Because I know and you know that eternal things happen. And I became a Christian because a congregation in West Nashville cared enough to build a building, fund a ministry, allow people to get together and preach the gospel. And that gospel message landed on me, a teenager. And God saved me. And so when I stood here last night, and I'm, I am that generation, you are that generation of building and providing and paying. And I can't think of a better way to spend my life. So I just want to say thank you for being a congregation that cares about children and teenagers and adults, and the world, so thank you. This morning we're going to take a close look at one of the major truths and teachings about the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, that there on the cross Jesus died and he shed his blood. That word's going to come out today, he shed his blood, and his blood was a ransom. He ransomed us. We're going to focus on how and why we are ransomed with Christ's blood and how it changes everything and how being ransomed by the blood of Christ shows us how to live as sojourners following Christ on this earth. We want to know the truth and the teaching so that we will experience it's power. We want this morning to experience the force of the truth that we have been ransomed by the blood of Christ. 
In other words, we want experiential knowledge. We want knowledge and truth that we experience. We want to know the truth more deeply as it comes to impact and affect our lives. We're going to hear from 1 Peter today that knowing is necessary for living. And that knowing is actually the power for living by faith and with hope and in holiness and in love. So I want you to listen for that message as we read together. Again, we're going to read starting in verse 13, but the focus is going to be from verse 18 and on. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is God's word. You may be seated. You might be thinking, if you haven't been to Grace before or haven't been in a few weeks, why are you picking up in verse 18 when you start in verse 13? Because I've spent a couple of weeks already in verses 13 through 17. We're going to focus on the ransom of Christ. I'll go ahead and say to the youth group who are running on about 90 minutes of sleep all weekend, here's the main point. If you're a Christian, you've been ransomed, glorify God. If you go to sleep, take that home. <laughs> I can trace with clarity beginning to grow in my knowledge of what was actually accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ and by his precious blood. I don't remember the exact date or places or even the people that I was reading, although I remember some of them. But I remember growing in my knowing about the accomplishments of the cross. I had already been a follower of Jesus Christ for a while. I'd already come to faith that Jesus died on the cross. I knew about the cross. I knew that somehow Jesus had paid the penalty for my sin and I had repented of my sin and trusted in Christ and I set myself in the direction of discipleship. And then this fresh and genuine faith of mine was steeled and stabilized by coming to know 
some specifics about the accomplishments of the cross of Jesus Christ. I begin to find and read about words that defined these things, like how Christ dealt with my sins. What did he actually do with them? What was actually done to him? How what Christ did on the cross actually changed something, like my standing with God. And how that work of Christ on the cross came to be the assurance in my own life and in the lives of other Christians about how we are to live a certain way and there's a certain end to our life. I was helped along in my faith and in my holiness by knowing these things. This knowing is necessary and it was necessary for me and it actually produced fruit in my life. And so this is what I'm praying for today. What we're praying for together, as Peter said in verse 18, knowing. That some knowing would take place among us today. That knowing these things would put strength and stability and reason to our faith. That knowing what he's going to say today would actually lead us to a kind of living in hope and holiness and worship and love and witness. What we know and remind ourselves specifically about the cross of Christ today is in this word, ransomed. Now there are some other words that we could use to describe the accomplishments of the cross of Christ. We could use the word justification. It's a great Bible word. Someday I'll preach a sermon on that. I, I do every week, by the way, in case you haven't picked up on it, but still. And then the word reconciliation is another word that we could use to describe the, the accomplishment of the cross. We should know these things too. We should experience the power of these things too. But the one that Peter is using today is the word ransom. It's also translated as redeemed. So I may use, I'll probably use ransom, but I might slip over into redeem because that's what the translation I read for 20 years used, and sometimes I slip back into that one. But ransom, redeem is the word that Peter uses today. Three parts and a summary. Ransomed from what? Verse 18, feudal ways. Ransomed with what? The precious blood of Christ, verse 19. Ransomed for what? Faith, hope, holiness, worship for God, verse 21. And then a summary, now what? How do we live? So let's start. Ransomed from what? Well, as always, we want to look at the context. We want to get the big picture. You got to step back. You got to do this all the time when you're reading the Bible. Step back and ask the question, what's going on? So what's going on in chapter 1 of 1 Peter? Peter is describing the great mercy and grace of God. By mercy, by grace, he says you've been born again to a living hope. 
And we are assured now by God's grace of a future hope, an inheritance that awaits us at Christ's return. And we have been told in chapter 1 that we can be absolutely sure that God's saving grace is also God's keeping grace and he will guard us for that day and for that inheritance that is to come. And then we've heard from chapter 1 who we are, that we are sojourners. We are followers of Jesus Christ in this world. We have a citizenship that is in heaven, and yet we're still here. We're very much engaged in this world, but we're also grieved by the trials that we go through. And we have testings of our faith, but those testings are purifying our faith. So it'll be like gold, better than gold, refined for honor and glory with Christ. All this is just, he hasn't even told us in the first 12 verses a command yet. It's all just descriptive of God's grace in our lives. Then we come to verse 13 where we started reading today. Peter begins with some exhortations. It's the first command as we live from this life of God's grace and mercy and being born again. He gives a list of several commands at this point. They're not raw commands. They're not self-willed commands. They're not commands that you and I are supposed to keep so that we can have self-righteousness. That's not the point of all, at all. These are the ways in which we live from the power of being born again. To be born again is to be spiritually alive with the Holy Spirit residing in us, giving us a power to live the new life. It's new life living that he is describing here. And the first one he says is to hope. To put your hope fully on the grace of God that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. And then verses 14, 15, 16, he says, be holy. Don't be conformed to your former life, the former life of your ignorance that God saved you from by His grace, but rather be growing in conformity to Christ. Be holy. He says in verse 17, live with godly fear as sojourners in this world. Be aware, be alive to the reality of God's holiness and His discipline on His children who do not seek after His holiness. And then we come to where we are today, verse 18, and he says, knowing. Now, that is not a new command. There are more commands coming, but this one's not a new command. This is the cause. This is the reason. This is the motivation for following the commands, for living the way Christ called us to live. Knowing something, by knowing something. Living this kind of life in hope and holiness, and faith, and as we'll see next week, love and faithfulness as sojourners is lived by knowing. Knowing that we have been ransomed. There's something very powerful about knowing that we have been redeemed that leads us to living for Christ's glory. There's a power to this. This word ransomed. What does it mean? We're used to the word redeemed in the Bible. I'm grateful that the translation I'm reading from today uses the word ransomed. It kind of wakes us up, doesn't it? And it also is important because it speaks of a price that is paid. Ransomed, redeemed is used in many contexts. It's not just a Bible term. It is a Bible term, but it's not only a Bible term. 
But in every context, it's always used to refer to a change. Anytime something is ransomed or redeemed, it means there's a change in the status or even the physical location. And the change always happens by a payment, a price that is paid by someone. So as I said, it's not just a, it's not just a Bible term. Redeemed, ransom could be used of a piece of property. Say the property is lost due to debt. Or a family is waiting to possess the property of another. That can be redeemed with a price. A person, him or herself, may be bound in service to another person to pay off a debt. That person can be ransomed by someone else paying off the debt, removing the obligation of the debt. A captive can be released by a ransom payment. That's the one we're most familiar with because we've been watching a whole lot of movies. In the Old Testament, an animal that was set for sacrifice could be bought back or redeemed or ransomed with a payment. So whether it is a social or a political or an economic or a religious context, the ransom always secures some kind of release, some kind of cancellation, a change from one state to another. Now, when we come to the New Testament, the word redeemed and ransomed is used in relation to the gospel. In the New Testament, the word is used as a gospel word, a cross of Jesus Christ word. Ransom and redemption refer to the spiritual and moral state of a person, or rather we should say the spiritual and moral change of a person before God. This word ransom and redeemed is used in relation to people before God. God. So a person in the New Testament, a person is redeemed. We call that a Christian. Collectively, those ransomed people, persons, become a people, a church. We read about that in Revelation just a moment ago. Become a church, the church of the ransomed. The vision of heaven, the ransomed people of God around the throne worshiping. We sing this beautiful song, a hymn from the church. All the ransomed church of God will be saved to sin no more. So there's the idea of ransom and redeem. Verse 18, though, we're talking about, we're on this point from what? Here it is in verse 18. We have been, you, he's talking to these people, and by faith we have been ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. Now, Peter's not talking about a godly heritage that many people have, and hopefully you have a godly heritage, and if you do, you should thank God for it and don't squander it. But we should know that any godly heritage that we may have is due to the fact, if we have a godly heritage, it's due to the fact that our parents or our grandparents or our forefathers at some point were ransomed from the feudal ways of their forefathers because we are all, the Bible says, in Adam. 
trace it back, and we're all from Adam, Adam, our first forefather, Adam who sinned, and whose sin introduced futility, ransomed from the feudal ways inherited by our forefathers. The sin of Adam introduced futility into the world, and we have all followed in his steps. Now, the congregations who are reading 1 Peter were made up of Jews and Gentiles. So the Jewish people had forefathers, but if their forefathers abandoned the faith of Abraham, then they were living in futility. The futility of legalism, hypocrisy, idolatry. Read the prophets. That's what that's about. Peter is more likely referring to the futility of the Gentile group in the congregation who were pursuing what we saw last week in verse 14, the passions of their former ignorance. What in the world is that? It means there was a time when they were ignorant of God, ignorant of the gospel, ignorant of the truth, ignorant even of their own nature. And they lived by their own passions, driven by the passions of this ignorance. Self as Lord, desires as the driver. Each one of them, each one of us, going in our own way that seem right to us, the way that ends in destruction. The Bible's very clear on what this means. It uses the word sin, which is falling short of God's commands, missing God's mark. It's darkness. It's the darkness of evil, the darkness of separation from God. It leads to judgment. It leads to hell. This is the futility of our former ways. It's life without being established in truth and reality and purpose. It's the plight of humanity in Adam. It's the plight of every human being in humanity. Emotional health, social status, ethnicity, culture, political affiliation, religious upbringing can be very deceptive. It can make us think that our plight is not futile, that our plight is actually good. When spiritually speaking before God, we are in sin. We are under judgment. We are living in futility. We are without God and we are without hope in this world. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And alienation from God, alienation from our own humanness as God intended it to be, is the plight of all. When our forefathers, first parents, Adam and Eve sinned, something happened. There was alienation introduced into the human experience. Alienation from God. 
And people ever since have groped in darkness. Alienation from ourselves. Why is it that we don't know who we are? Why this search for identity in everything, usually things flowing from our own passions and desires? Why identifying ourselves with everything? Because we're alienated from ourselves. We do not know who we are before God. This is futility. This is our plight. We're alienated from each other. We are not a unified people. We never have been. Alienation. Sin, darkness, separation is a part of the human experience. And it's a part of every human being until until we are ransomed from these futile ways. And, and before I go to point two, I'll just say, if you will turn to Jesus Christ and repent of your sin and throw the whole weight of your trust and your hope on him, you will be delivered from that. He will save you. He will save you. That's what we're ransomed from. The futility that has been handed to us from our forefathers, but the futility which we have eagerly participated in, in our own sin. He's ransomed us. Second, ransomed with what? Well, verse 18 and 19 first tell us ransomed with what not. <laughs> not, he says in verse 18, we've been ransomed not with anything perishable like silver or gold. Silver or gold are used to represent all things perishable, all things of this world, all things of ourselves. And when it says we're not ransomed by anything perishable, it's to highlight the value of the imperishable. So no personal morality is going to get you out of this plight. No philosophy of life is going to get you out of this, of this plight. No personal identity, no achievement, no discovery of an authentic self, no pursuit of a cause. Nothing is going to ransom us from our futile ways. Nothing makes the change. That's what it first tells us, what it is not. But then it tells us ransomed with what? With the precious blood of Christ. We go from darkness to light, he's going to say in chapter 2. We go from darkness to light. We go from sin to forgiveness. We go to futil from futility to purpose and meaning and God's will. We go from one to the other by with the precious blood of Christ. Blood equals death. Now, if you're aware, if you're listening and you're, you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought blood equals life. It does. The life is in the blood. But Christ shed his, which means he gave his life in death. The blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, 
is speaking about the cross of Christ. It is precious. It's precious because it was given in love. It's precious because it accomplished so much. It's precious to God. And we first have to step back and, and consider once again what's going on in, in, within God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The blood of Christ is precious. The blood of the Son, Jesus Christ, is precious to the, to the Father. The Father sees the sacrifice of his Son and is pleased because it accomplished our salvation. It's precious. It's precious to us because by it we are saved. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. But why do we talk like this? You might be saying, close the doors. Turn the volume down. Don't let everybody hear us talking about this craziness. Why are we talking this craziness about blood being precious? Because its source is the love of God. No greater love has anybody than this, than one would lay down his life for his friends. You, Jesus said, are my friends. He's laid down his life for us. Do you know how much God loves you? Is it landing on you? Oh, how I pray. I want to know God's love in an experiential way. I want to know it deeply. What I learned as a child, I want it to be deepening in my heart. I want it to be deepening in your heart. I'm praying. Let's pray now. You can pray this very second that God's love would be an experiential knowledge for us. Not that we can just know that it's in John 3.16 or 1 John 3.16, but that we can actually experience it. Paul prayed for that, that you would know the dimensions, high and long and deep and wide is the love of God for you. That's how precious it is because the blood of Christ was motivated by the love of God. And the preciousness of the blood death of Jesus Christ is in its nature. It is a substitutionary death. The wages of sin is death. And on the cross, Jesus died. But he didn't sin. So he's dying in our place. The blood of Christ is precious because it accomplished. As we said, justification and redemption and now ransom, release. You're free, and you can come. You're free. I set you free from sin, and then you can come into my presence. This is the accomplishment of the cross of Jesus Christ as he washes away our sin and removes the barrier. The cross, the blood of Jesus Christ, endured the wrath of God against our sin in himself. It paid the penalty for our sin. It cleanses our sin. It cancels out our debt. There's the use, the good use of that word ransom. It does have an economic uh, understanding to it and that we are the indebted ones but he, he canceled our debt because he paid it he reconciles between God and, and, the, and the person the human being is actually brought into relationship like, like hand in hand with God because Jesus paid the penalty took the wrath removed the sin tore down the wall brought us together ransom. It's precious because he conquered the accuser. 
The only thing that the devil has against you is your sin. And if Jesus canceled the debt of your sin, and if Jesus forgave you of your sin, he even took, Jesus even took that out of the devil's hand against you. Let him accuse. And you just tell him to go to the cross. And you say, there, the blood was shed for me. You can even agree with the devil. Yes, I've sinned. And he took it. And I'm free. This is, this is why it's precious. And he conquered death itself. The last great enemy, Revelation says, that will be put down is death itself. And it leads to resurrection life. Oh, how precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. Come on, congregation. Come on. Don't fall. Let's don't fall for that idea, that notion, that we need something other than the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't do it. Do not, do not believe that people can't get the cross. Question, do you get the cross? And if you do, how'd you get the cross? And so do you not think that the same Holy Spirit who led you to repentance at the cross can't lead somebody else to repentance at the cross? Of course he can. So we join Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We don't stumble over the cross and the blood and the death of Jesus Christ, and we certainly don't seek to remove the stumbling block before other people by talking about something else. We want, we know we've been delivered from futility, and we want other people to be delivered from futility, so the only thing we can talk about is a ransom that is with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The word of the cross is the power of God to save. It's the wisdom of God leading to salvation. We preach, talk about Proclaim, exalt Christ crucified when the Spirit moves with power. When the Spirit moves with power, it won't be to lead us to believe that we can just become a better version of ourselves. When the Spirit moves with power, it won't be to lead us to somewhere else other than the blood of Christ. When the Spirit moves with power, it will be to open blind eyes to the preciousness of the blood of Christ and the beauty of His cross as our ransom. When the Spirit moves with power, it will lead people to repentance and faith and rest, and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Rest. There won't be any striving when the Spirit works and moves with power. We will throw ourselves completely on Christ in repentance and faith, and we will find rest for our souls. When the Spirit moves with power, it will lead us to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus Christ is the servant who gave his life a ransom for many. That Jesus Christ is the slain Lamb at the throne of God, the one who has ransomed a people from every nation, singing glory to his name for all of eternity. The Spirit will lead people to see that Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb who delivers us from death itself. Verse 20, for this, Christ was foreknown from all of eternity. He's now been manifest. He's been made known in his incarnation 
meaning he came as a man. He's been made known in his cross. He's been made known in his resurrection. And he is made known in the preaching of the gospel for our sake. Ransomed with the blood of Christ. And finally, ransomed for what? For what? Not just from. And this is a great thing to understand. Jesus Christ did not, Jesus Christ died to set us free. He died to release us from, but not only. He died so that we would be for God. Free from sin for God. He died, verse 21, Jesus ransomed us by his precious blood that we would have put our faith in God. The reason he died is so that we could come to know God through faith. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Jesus died so that we would put our hope in God. Verse 21, are you resting your full hope on Christ and Christ alone to rescue you from this darkness and reconcile you to God? Jesus Christ, with his blood, ransomed us for holiness takes us back to verse 13. It's why I started reading in verse 13 again. Because I wanted us to see that this whole verse 18, knowing that we've been ransomed by the precious blood, is in the immediate context of Peter's call to holiness. Being holy, being like Christ, living in proper fear of sin, comes while, verse 18, knowing that we've been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. And let me give you an example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, words almost identical. Peter wrote this, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, but they both knew the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul wrote this. There were some Christians in the city of Corinth, and they came from a, an immoral lifestyle. Now, you, I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Say, man, our world has gotten so bad. Has it ever been like this before? I say, well, go read 1 Corinthians. It's bad. I'm not saying it's not bad, but it's, it's all, it, sin has always been a part of it. Futility has always been a part of this world. So Paul's writing to Christians in Corinth who came from a very immoral lifestyle. And yes, it was a sexually immoral lifestyle, overtly. And so he is exhorting these people to be holy. And in doing so, they're pagans, okay, so you just got to be real. He says, don't participate in the pagan practice of temple prostitution. He's telling Christians this. He says, separate yourselves. Separate yourselves from all forms of sexual sin. And the next chapter, chapter 7, he says, honor your marriages. Men, a man and a woman in sexual union as designed by God. This is what he says. Don't practice in sin. Honor your marriages. Be holy. And here's his reasoning. Ready? This is a quote. Do you not know? There's our word. Knowing. Knowing that you've been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. He says, he says to the Corinthians. That's Peter. Paul says to the Corinthians. Do you not know? That your body, he's not spiritualizing it, he means this one. 
that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price, ransomed. So glorify God with your body. There's the application. Do you see this? Do you see how this works? Ransomed, bought with a price, paid for by Christ, rescued from darkness into light means you don't belong to you anymore. You belong to him. And if you belong to him, mind and body, your whole self, glorify God. That's for what? That's ransom for what? For God. The phrase, my body, my choice, is futility. It's a phrase that originally referred to abortion, and now it is a phrase that is applied to everything. And it's futility. And human beings are being destroyed. Lives are, are being shipwrecked. And sin is killing people. The gospel message is not my body, my choice. It is bought with a price ransomed, belonging, belonging, belonging to God. That's the gospel, belonging to God who loves us. Therefore, glorify God as those who are ransomed. That's Christianity. We've been redeemed. We've been ransomed for God. Now what? Go live for his glory. That's it. Go live for his glory.